like you guys all hate verses. You all actually know the next verse more than this verse. But uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you and then I'll explain. Isaiah 43, verse 18. Do not fall behind the former things or ponder the things of the past. I know what we would say just after that is, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not know I'm doing a new thing? But before we consider the new thing, I feel like the Lord wants to draw a line in the sand for everybody today that the past will no longer have an effect on us as it used to. And that we will all, once and for all, be willing to let the past go. So that if the good of the past or the bad of the past in any way impact me to make decisions or live my life that does not reflect or what God wants, I would call that out and know it's wrong. Does that make sense? Right? <laughs> Just like this guy, you know, I'm serious. And here's a theologian comes and makes jokes. <laughs> For his notes, he needs to have a topic. I, I, The, the topic is going to come. The, <laughs> the heading will come. The heading will come. So, uh, um, it, is, it, is, it is, though, as I consider it, such an interesting thing how um, God has dealt whenever with the past and how he has spoken to the people of God whenever they had to deal with the past. And I'm trying to think that he was... If I say hard, and I will say, yes, that's a hard thing. But he was very, very serious in speaking and bringing about that we cannot allow to carry the past and let it Jesus said, whoever puts his hands on the plow and look back is not fit. But uh, um, Abram's family is in a place called Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's going wild. And God tells him, I'm going to judge that. But, but Abram knows he's got his family members and things there. So he pleads with God. He's like, God, for the sake of, and he, he kind of starts negotiating with God. Will you save me? Will you save me? And then ultimately, he's able to negotiate with God. Abram had that skill. Could pull it off, negotiate with God, that God will keep his family part of his extended family, but yet destroy that town. And God had only one condition, only one condition. I will keep them and I will destroy that city. Only one condition. Whoever looks back will get my judgment. And then I think we know the story. As they move out, Lot's wife just couldn't help herself. Because the past in some ways, it's not always attractive, but it's like a magnet. That even though we don't always like it, it's still like a magnet that keeps us from going back. And as she looks back, she saw 
And so all through the, the journeys of Israel, whether in good times or bad times, wherever God is moving, each storm must get his people to get a move on and not look back and be able to let go of the past and move on. So last week we, we read this verse in uh, Psalm, I think it's verse 16. And as we spoke about fresh hearts, he said, call at once a vision with fresh hearts. And he said, one thing I can say, we spoke about it, Paul, Philippians is one of his passionate letters. He is mature. The guy has conquered a couple of churches. He's wrote half of the New Testament by this time. He's done, he's got the star, good Christian, at least most successful Christian, probably of all time. And he comes to this conclusion. He says, not that I have attained. He's not saying that. No, 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 I'm not saying that. Not that I've attained. Okay, maybe I should read that. Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that of which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do. It's like, as Paul, I would understand that my determination is to take hold of everything that Jesus has taken hold of, man, deeper decisions, to serve God flatter. But the desire to take hold is never dropped. And then he speaks about the biggest enemy of ever taking hold of the things of God. But one thing I'll do, I'll forget what lays behind. Because I've come to know that the past will call me continuously as a victim to say, I really want to take hold, but you must understand what happened to me in my youth. I really wanted to take hold of it, but, you know, my insecurity because of my dad, because of this, because of that. He was just never willing to go to the victim. And just one thing I do, even though the past want to throw and give me excuses, I will just never forget and know the deadliness of it. And I, I, I feel like there's something of the deadliness of the past weighing on us that I trust that we can draw a line today. We can draw a line today. And all the people that is in here that in some way this has happened to, I'm not speaking about evil. I'm speaking about good. I'm speaking about whatever. Get in there. Somehow today we will be able to let go and take hold of everything that the Lord wants us to. So I'm, 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 I'm a little bit scared because I, I know the guys like Saki and Vanessa about being a friend. They take such, such good notes of me. Afterwards, I receive the notes to see what I preached about. So, but uh, I've got four points. Point number one. Point number one is when the past was good. When the past was good, it is. It is interesting. I've said it a couple of times. Most people, most people's Christian lives is like this. They had a glorious experience, at least in their mind, the first year. And then the rest of their Christianity is trying to relive that first year. And everything, 
everything in their Christian walk is a measuring stick of that first year. Oh, when they experienced Jesus the way that they did. Oh, the fellowship was so beautiful. Oh, when I was <clears throat> free from church politics. Oh, the beauty of all those things. And somehow, everything that we do is to try and relive that time of faith. You know, um, recently, or not recently, a couple of years ago, my parents passed away. And uh, we, we had to look at uh, our inheritance. And so, I might seem like evil in that sense. But as we kind of considered what to do with the inheritance, like the, the plates and the pots and the pans and all the stuff that was there, I'm, I'm thinking, like, how much money can I get for it? Can we sell it? My sister's like, oh, no, 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 it's like, it's a memory. And I'm like, oh, I just want to know uh, how much money I can get out of it. So then, you know, we, we, we were this thing kind of arguing, and not arguing, we were just kind of working out, you know, what, how do we place value on things? And you know, there is something called sentimental value. Sentimental value works like this. It doesn't mean that the thing is as valuable, but there's a different value that this thing gives me a certain emotional feeling. It gives me a certain feeling that reminds me of an emotion that I had in my past. And when I see this, it gives me that feeling. And so therefore, it has some sort of sentimental, and that's value, value. Okay. This is my statement. God is not sentimental at all. God is not sentimental at all. And God is not bound by our sentimental distance. And somehow, somewhere, because of the emotion that sentiment arrives in, Somehow, we place that on God. God is no God like that. He's not like that. We sometimes go there because, man, things have happened in my life or there that this is it. I want to make it this way. I want to make sure that I'm settled and God is not settled. Not always. So, Jesus takes um, Peter, 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 James, and John up this mountain. And as they're up in this mountain, they had a glorious experience. And suddenly, Jesus started to shine like a light. Jesus was normal. There was no shine. He was just like one of us. But suddenly on that mountain, bing, the light goes on in Jesus. He's like a light. Not only that. Moses, that was around 2,000 years ago, with Elijah, appears on the mountain, shining like a light. I'm telling you, any worship leader, any person, I mean, we wait, we desire for the day that we can say, we had a worship meeting today, and it was like Jesus appeared. It was like Elijah was there in person. It was like Moses was shining. And we all reacted like Peter, James, and John, bah, face down. You couldn't expect much more glorious. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, 
I will make three tabernacles here, huts here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. It's just so beautiful, this experience. Can't you just build a hut around it? While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, this is not Jesus speaking. This is the Father speaking from heaven. I, I was just like, that is a severity. <laughs> the voice comes from heaven. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Okay. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground and were terrified. And Jesus came to them, touched them, and said, Get up and do not be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one. They saw no one except Jesus himself alone. You know what is the interesting thing about that thing? I, I understand Peter, you know. I sometimes have a certain experience with God, and I'm so tempted. Can't I just build a hut around here? Because the problem is, you know, when we go off that mountain, you, didn't, you know, they didn't go to the next mountain of transfiguration. They went to the cross. It's why, like, I miss the days of the Mount of Transfiguration. I was like, if I was Peter, I was like, can't I just relive that emotion all over again and go to my hut in that mountain? You know, um, one of the things that of, of the church, sometimes it's a subtle carnal good feeling that we get. That people that were with us, say Anna, Anna is with us. After a year, Anna phones me and says, it's just not the same year. I must tell him, boss, the church is not the same. And right there, I've got a temptation to go and drink it all up. Well, I'll have to tell Anna, Anna, God is not the same year. God is not in your experience the same year. God is in wherever you are at that time. And if you're going to look back to Stellenbosch and try and relive Stellenbosch, you're not going to find God there. You can get your hut there, but you're not going to find God there. Anna, I know it doesn't feel like the Mount of Transfiguration, and it isn't. You need to find God where He is there, because that's where He has you then. On the flip side, people come to us and say, you won't believe it, but in the 90s, I had a different experience. Or in, 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 uh, when I was there, or while I was there, it was just so awesome. And I, I just, sorry. <laughs> but that's the past. God is not there anymore. God is here where you are now, and you need to find God here. And you do this will keep you from finding him. You know, I, 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 you know, young people are interesting. Young people are, are willing to change, generally. Generally, young people are willing to change. 
easier than older guys. Because generally we move into that type of, of position. I know some of the young people here, they're ready to conquer the world. And they're like, I'm so ready. But I'm, 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 I'm sometimes, uh, I look at young people. And there's certain experiences that they have. And certain moments that they have with one another that subtly become sacred. I love Southern Africa. Let's get your heart right. I love it. I love it. I love your history. I love to go jog in Jonkers Hoop Mountains, find a river, splash there, come back. It's like heaven. It's like a dream. It's like so awesome. And sometimes, you know, there's young guys here, they live on a mountain in Jonkers Hoop. If I was 20 years old, that would have been the ultimate thing. You live in the mountains of Jonkers Hoop. With other fellow believers that loves God, and you live completely communal lives. I sometimes find my way up that mountain just to be around them. It's like, can I be 20 again, Jesus? Well, I have to go home and do my responsible man things. <laughs> That's better. So, I can say to them, you're not going to remain 20 forever. Some of them don't want to let go of being 20. You'll have to move off that mountain. <laughs> Sometime you'll have to move out of that mountain and come into that new type of experience. And yes, might not seem as nice and all the other things, but you'll have to. Brother Pip is the nicer man. Nice moments and nice things in God that we have to let go. The second one is familiarity. You guys know that we, um, we feel safe in what is familiar with us. Another safety. That safety is a false security and does not come from God. You feel safe in familiarity. That safety is a false security and is not from God. I don't want us to follow the shadow right up here around the edge. But uh, you know what is interesting? If you would ask the country, how many of you are happy with the government? I suppose more than 90% would say no. The government will be selected, elected again and again and again. Why? Because people feel safe in familiarity. It doesn't mean that it's nice or good. People feel nice in familiarity. Somehow familiarity keeps me away from trusting. And I will stick in what is familiar. I will stick in what is familiar because somehow it offers a sort of security. There, there was a book written a couple of years. Actually, when I got saved, is a, is a really good book. A, a guy used a bit of a metaphor. And it's about four mice that were born. Four mice. 
I, I might have deceived you guys with it. I might scratch the box. I know, I know. <laughs> Keep the box. I don't. <laughs> so they, they, these, these mice found this discovery of cheese, this mountain of cheese, which was amazing. And it was a certain route from where they stayed that was very, very easy to get to. And so they would pop out every morning, get their cheese, and come back. And after a while, the routine and the pattern of how I live my life became so easy and so comfortable and so familiar. But who knows? At some stage, the cheese finished. And as the last crumbs of cheese remained, two of the mice went, we need to move on. Two of the mice went, we need to move on. And the book that was written is, who has moved my cheese? Now, I want to say to you guys, in God, he's moving your cheese all the time. I'm sorry, guys. I need to tell you something about God. He's, he's moving. And I have seen denominations, traditional denominations, is founded on that route that Jesus moved. But I'm freaking going to stay because 30 years, 40 years, 100 years ago, God moved like this, and I'm going to stick and remain in that church. I had a... Um, there was a church that I, every now and then when I was in Russia, this one church that I went to, I went to every year. It was a, a very, very charismatic church, smallish church, 40, 50 people. They were the most charismatic group of people that I've ever seen. You go for worship there, it was a stretch for me because it was all in Russian and it will always be around two hours on. And it's not like they go free and they go very free. And then that guy dances, and that guy brings a song. And this is like, I'm, 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 I'm trying with everything to stay engaged, but it was difficult. And then, then there was the preach, and then the fellowship, and everything around it will take for hours. It was Africa and Russia. <laughs> and one year I go again to that group. And suddenly, the batteries are flat. Worship, three songs. Sit down. Amen, boom, gone. And I couldn't figure out what happened. Until I looked at the back. <laughs> and realized all of them got children at the same time. Sucky, what else wrong with you and your wife today? <laughs> now, I understood exactly what they were going through. I, uh, uh, I had a pumping prayer life with Jesus before I had children. I spent with my time with God orderly for a certain period of time, great. And marriage was an adjustment to me. But somehow I could still negotiate with my wife and say, these hours, I give you your time, you give me my time. And 
then Children's Day. And I couldn't negotiate. This is like, please, just don't cry over this time. I'll do anything. It didn't help. It didn't, nothing, nothing worked. And as my quiet times, it was so sacred because that's where I met God. That's where I found my keys. Was disrupted every time. And I remember the process of of Samuel. He's quiet now, but I'm telling you, there were times that I'm, 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 I'm learning just like fatting slowly and slowly and slowly until the uh, uh, and it's gone. And now the process of laying him down and one millimeter of wrong step and it's all over again. And I'm praying, Lord, you know I want to spend time with you. God, this is for you that I do this. No, 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 And once as I'm patting my, patting Samuel again, and I'm, I'm like, come on, this is my cheese time. You cannot do this. It's me and God as I'm patting. And just as I'm getting him quiet again, yeah, I had to repent to my three-month-old baby so many times. I lost my temper, and the patting becomes stronger and stronger. Just sleep. I turned my anger to God and I said, and I want a time with you and you don't want me to spend time with you. And as I said that, I remember I heard heaven laughing out loud. I could hear him laugh. And I had to discover something. I had to discover that I had to find God a new way. Really. I had to learn how to, in the patting, hear him. I had to find through the busyness of life to know that he's there. That I've, the cheese has moved, but I have to find him there. It was one of those most amazing things. You know, for me at that stage, up till that time, I would have my quiet time. Times of the Lord and the richness of the word will fill me and I will spit out preachers like anything. And then at that time, suddenly I can't do that anymore. And so I had like a little bit of time from my house to the work. And I, we had this Bible DVD still that I would listen to. And I would listen to it. It's an unfair. It's a cheat. I would drive from my, from my house to the Bible school. And on my way there, as I'm just listening to a guy reading the Bible, suddenly the scriptures will open up to me. It's like... And I felt like this is unfair. I should have labored much harder for this one. You can't just pop sermons on me. You can't make it that easy. It's like, no, the cheese has moved. You will just open up your ears and open up your eyes. You'll find me in different ways. Just be willing to move. And as I was willing to move it, me and my children's relationship improved greatly. <laughs> I had to repent less. And finally, it could have been calmness to pat them to sleep. I had to learn. You know my silliness of example, but I can tell you guys, most of us are control freaks. Most of us are control freaks. Familiarity in what we know 
we like. It's not God and it's a false security. He's going to get you out of that. I'm just saying that. And if you're going to hold on to him, you're going to miss him. He's not in the familiarity. Abram slept in tents, guys. There's a purpose. That's the very nature of those people that walk by faith. Don't have the idol of familiarity of this world. So lay it down. Point number three. Point number three is in injustice. Injustice. Injustices in the past is not an excuse for me to squelch forward to what God has for me. Injustices in the past is not an excuse for me to take hold of what God has for me in the future. You know, um, me and my wife, had a, uh, we had an interesting journey, for those of you that know. I'll, I'll give my wife a word. I'm not sure she wants to hear it. <laughs> so, 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 when, when uh, uh, we, we met, she was living in Japan. She had to move, leave her family, leave everything that she knows to come to South Africa. The, the trick about this whole thing is it wasn't, it wasn't kind of communicated beforehand. That was not our understanding that uh, she would just come to marry me. It was just let's come to get to know one another. And then as she's still just getting to know me, God spoke very clearly. Don't go back to your land. Stay and be married to this wonderful guy. Which I don't know why is that difficult. I thought like that's every girl's dream. But she, 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 the clothes that she packed was not for a big move. It was a visit packing. It wasn't a remove packing. And then we lived in a town called Wellington, which is predominantly Afrikaans. I understand everything that's going on. She does not understand everything that's going on. I had all my French. She had no French. I had everything that was easy and known and nice for me. She had everything that was nice to her. She had to let go. And everything that is difficult and awkward was there. If there was a sacrifice scale, mine would have been, I mean, I've actually just scored out of it. I come home. I had wonderful food. I never had great food. Suddenly I get great food in the evening. It was just wonderful. Her sacrifice scale was massive. So what subtly then creeped in with her is there is an injustice here. And in some ways, he isn't there. He's got a backlog to make up. And for a long time in our marriage, you know, I would come home and I realized I've done something wrong. I just don't know why. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't even home. What could I? I mean, it's like, you know, it's like, what? But I'm wrong. I just know I'm wrong. I just. And then at some stage, Mark realized 
that God showed her is that he had kept record of this injustice. And I want you to wipe that injustice completely. In me, you are equal, she said. Now that's a reflection on many relationships and many things that we have. We've got an eternal, internal, we want to swear things the whole time. I, uh, um, I speak in front of my family, you know. But I, I, my kids, we, we, we give them uh, chores. They're like, they need to do the uh, washing the dishes. The one, I mean, you guys know the story. One, the one washes, or the one, oh, we've got a dishwasher. It's the one pack away, the one put the on button and take it out. It's, it's terrible. It's very difficult. They, they have to do that and so on. But every now and then, I feel like every now and then, there's this cup that, it needs to find out whose responsibility is this cup. We can't just move on. We're going to find who is the rightful one that needs to wash this cup. Who needs to pack away this spoon? No, no, you packed it away last way. No, 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 no. Last before last before last. And way back in that time, in that time, their memories are brilliant. If they could remember their schoolwork like that, I mean, I will have geniuses here. But they remember their part, but they forget completely the sister or the brother's part. And so this, this, this fighting, because God forbid that I wash a cup that was her responsibility. It will be the greatest injustice ever. I, 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 often, I often see that people are quick to say that they are forgiven. It's an easy thing. You need to forgive. But when Jesus speaks about forgiveness, you know, one of the things Jesus says, keep no, or it's, I think it's Peter who says, keep no record of the bad. Oh, be honest now you. Keep no record of the past or the, or, or, the, or the bad or the injustice that's been done to you. You deal with it. There is obviously unfair. That person is obviously in debt to you. There's an obvious in debt. I've forgiven him. It's not that I haven't forgiven him. But I can't give until I can't move on until we've squared. And God is saying, to the need to square is not from him. Wipe it off. Wipe it off. And this is how Jesus did the forgiveness. He speaks to you guys know the parable that he explains. You see, it's a man that, that's owed. Uh, a man that uh, owes the king like millions. And the king has mercy on the man. And he says like, I wipe away your debt as if you never owed me. But then that same man speak of his brother. And there's 10 or 100 rand that his brother owes him. And he goes and he says, you will give me. He takes him to the tormentors until he gives back every cent. And the king hears of it. He says, you couldn't write off debt towards others. While I, in the same way, have write off all your debt 
And look, there's them, guys. Let's just, let's just be clear. We all have played tweaky-tweaky, as Laura said. We have all shared our affections. We have all. And yet there's wipe off that that act towards us out of rebellion. We have got the record of that. But our need becomes clear. When everybody, when anybody does this, I don't play games, I I know my customers. (laughs) If anyone says, what was Jesus teaching us here? forces you to carry their stuff unfairly. That's unfair. They carry, they force you to carry your stuff right now instead of them. They take your tunic, your, 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 your top coat, and put it on the front. Who did Jesus speak to? His example is to the Roman soldiers. I mean, you must understand for a Jew, a Roman soldier is really old. It's just the injustice that he's facing every day towards this group of people that has done this to him. His land, his property. Jesus, Messiah, set them in place. They strike you in your tunic and put it on the front. They force you to carry a mark and put it on the front. It's unfair. Unfair doesn't exist for a Christian. Let go of your right to fight for fairness. Keep no record. Keep no record for that person. So interesting. Keep no commandment. Maybe... Maybe some of the married couples is more mature than us. But it's, it's amazing. You know, um, Martha would ask me, would you please pick up your shirt? And I'm thinking, you didn't pick up your shirt yesterday. Okay. But you didn't pick up your shirt yesterday. How does the fact that she didn't pick up her shirt yesterday make it right that my shirt is not there? But somehow it's justified. I will not because you didn't pick up your shirt yesterday. <laughs> oh, shucks. That's the retro. <laughs> yeah, but you leave the shirt more than me. <laughs> and so it goes on. As if there's past infringements that justifies the fact that my shirt is laying on the floor now. It's nonsense. It's nonsense. There's no justice. I can soberly, I should be able to cast off all wrongs from the past and look at it. Is it wrong that my shirt is on the floor? I'm still wondering about that, but but for the sake of my wife, I'll pick up that shirt. Even though I'm sure I saw that she left hers also yesterday. 
You understand how we reason? Please stop shaking your head. The last point, the last point, number four, is disappointment pain. Now, I want to read you guys a, a verse, Matthew 11, verse 12. It says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, suffers violence. I just want to say to you that you're going to suffer violence in your life. I just want to say to you that all of you will, will, will be disappointed. All of you will need pain. All of you will suffer violence in your soul. All of you. Now, I would have hoped that the next word there would be, therefore. Therefore, I would understand. Therefore, certain things of the kingdom, you don't have to do. It says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And violent men and women take it by force. I'm, I'm going to say something harsh now, and I, I admit I'm, I'm, I understand I understand the experiences, the emotion that you have had behind this. But the Bible and Scripture, if you find it, help you. But just never allow victims to live. Make sure to live. To go forward in life. It's never all right. I don't, and I'm, 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 I hear what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to be, to be compassionless or merciless. But I don't care. It seems like Scripture doesn't care or put categories of severeness of pain. It is never an excuse to stay in a certain place. The question that is before me, what is the kingdom? I'm like, this is a mild one, okay? I had a church hurt. Therefore, I had leadership abuse, therefore. I have distrust abuse, therefore. I've been parent abuse, therefore. Not there. It's requiring of us to take the kingdom of God with violence. That even though we suffer, I ask myself, for instance, is it good for me to trust? And the voice goes, but remember, you've been disappointed. Is it right for me to trust? Remember how many times you've been disappointed. Is it right for me to trust you? Yes. God, it's difficult. Taking your kingdom by force, and I'm not going to allow the cross to determine me. Let me say to you guys, I'll make a distinction. I've had many, many disappointments. Hi, guys, we share something. We all have been disappointed. I think we have. We all have been disappointed. 
Now, I've been disappointed many times. Now, if my disappointment is an excuse for me not to take hold of what God has, woe to me. Right. Through my disappointments, I've learned some lessons to help me make better decisions now. Great. But I've had disappointments that gives me an excuse to not take it. I've had great experiences that's been lessons to me how to make better decisions now. Great. I've had great experiences now that cause me to do this. Guys, it's, in, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy how we justify our past to not give ourselves fully to God. It is, we do it. And there's a subtle lie that has chucked that and made it fun. Victimhood celebrated. Please help us find it for God. It's so freaking helpful. So, I want to... I'm going to end off this portion. Hebrews 10. Let me grab a final verse and end this. So Hebrews 10, it speaks to these guys. You guys remember that these guys were severely persecuted. But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured great conflict of suffering. Partly by being made a public spectacle through reproach and tribulations. And partly by becoming shares of those you were so treated. You were treated terribly. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. This was not Buddha. You take my property, you take me. Without compensation, never. There's where I draw the line. Not these guys. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyful the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourself a better possession and a lasting one. <laughs> Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a little, very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Okay, Jesus, but you know that the properties have been seized. You know that um, they've been treated. Very, very bad. You know that they've been beaten up. You know that they've been, uh, uh, um, uh, um, that, that so many things that caused distrust has come through their lives. You know the pain and the hurt that they went through. Jesus, can you not understand that they just need to draw back a little bit? If you draw back, my soul is no delight in you. Speaking. But Paul speaks as a pastor now, and I want to speak it to you guys now, verse 39. But we, we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the persevering of the saints. 
right. I'm going to pray now. I want us to consider our lives here. Okay? I want us to draw a line in the sand today. There's one thing I do, that which is behind me, I leave. To stretch forward, to take hold of what God has for me. you, I mean, it, it is ultimately between you and God, but I want to pray as you, as I spoke, there were certain things that you know, that there is this tendency just to hold on, there's this tendency still that somehow justifies, somehow excuse, somehow still cause us to look back, to draw back, you know this, whether it's the good whether it's the bad, whether it's the ugly, whatever it is. Can we draw a line in the sand today? I'm just going to give you guys like a couple of seconds, maybe 30 seconds or so. And just speak to the Lord. Speak to Him. All of us here have our journeys. You know them. It will it'll probably take more than just even this chat. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you just point your finger on. Lord, that the wrestle to let go will happen for each one. Father, I pray that as your people, that as we commit to take hold of everything that you've taken hold of us, that we together with Paul can say, but the one thing we will not allow in our midst, we will not allow in our midst, is the line of hypocrisy. Father, I pray where people have hurt, that pe cause them to react in certain circumstances, contrary to what your will has. I pray for a zeal to deal with that. I pray for a willingness to deal with every pain that prevents me from looking forward. Father, I pray every identity that is even fine in pain, that's just who I am. I am like this. And in some ways it's painful, but in some ways it prevents security as well. Father, no longer will we allow that to exist. We'll let go of it, Lord. We'll let go of it. Father, I pray that you will deal with each one. And truly, God, a line will be drawn in the sand. And we will move on. 